We are in John chapter 19 this morning. If you have a Bible, please open it. Um, if you don't have one, uh, hunt around. There will be one in the pew for you to use. Uh, otherwise, it's a great chance to introduce yourself to someone who has a Bible. And a fortnight ago, we were looking at the crucifixion of Jesus. And it is hard to look at when we understand what a Roman crucifixion was. And, and if you're concerned, I'm not going to go back into the detail of that this morning. That's not where we're going. It is really, really hard. And when we understand that this is what humanity's response to the living God was, then that should be affecting on us. It should stir our hearts. We, we should feel emotionally the effect of that as well. God created our emotions, and if we can look at what God has done and not be stirred emotionally, then I think perhaps we need to look again. Um, preparation for this week, uh, which has been going on for a couple of weeks now, looking towards continuing our journey through um, chapter 19, was actually really difficult. It, and it was very strange because every now and then the Lord, and I encourage you all to have a go at preaching at some point because there are some fantastic lessons in God's grace that you pick up along the way. But sometimes what he does, and I trust you find this in your personal study as well, he says, oh, look at this. And you go, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. What on earth do I do with that? And you have to sit in that wrestling space for sometimes days or even a week or two before it starts sinking in. So this morning we're going to have a different kind of look. Uh, we're going to start with um, halfway through verse 16. Not Yes, halfway through verse 16. And then we will go down to verse 37. So read with me, please. John chapter 19. Halfway through verse 16. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. I want you to take note as we read through this morning that there are four, four kinds of people that we're just going to pause and have a look at who are standing around as Jesus is in the middle of, of being crucified. And the first one is we're going to talk about the thieves. So here in verse 18, And with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Let's read on. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, I have written, but what I have written, I have written. This is the second group, is the religious leaders. Verse 23, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. 
This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. This is the third group of people we're going to look at. So this is what the soldiers did. Verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And the disciple is talking about John. Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, so Jesus' mother, Mary, and the other women, that's group number four. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, verse 31, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. We spoke about that a fortnight ago, about why they would do that. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water that it had started to separate. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. We have these four groups of people, um, and we'll talk about them in, in this order, that we have the religious leaders, and as John describes the activity of the religious leaders, everything John describes in this is as an eyewitness. He was there. He's reflecting and remembering and as he thinks back to the religious leaders, this is their main concern, that the sign is wrong. That's how John sees them. He sees that they are caught up in this, that the wording says that Jesus is the king of the Jews rather than that Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews. And for John, his emphasis on the religious leaders is that they've completely missed it. They have missed the point of who Jesus really is. And then John talks about the thieves. Well, just before that, John talks about the thieves, and he mentions very briefly that these two other crooks had been crucified alongside Jesus. And throughout Christian history, as much as we've had uh, one of these symbols of, of a singular cross, we find pictures like this one as well. We actually have this on our church logo. We have a form of this. But John mentions them in passing. And again, his emphasis on Jesus is that, is that Jesus is who he has claimed to be. And John is emphasizing the shame and how terrible it was that these two thieves are being crucified next to Jesus. So for John, it's this juxtaposition, you know, putting things at 
at odd angles next to each other. And then we have the third group of people that John mentions. And we don't know if they had dice. We don't know if they drew straws. We don't know how they did it. It simply says in the scripture that they cast lots. We know that Romans did have dice. But these soldiers, who for them it's all in a day's work. For these soldiers, there is, there is again, it, John describes them in reference to the majesty of Christ. He, he describes these men almost like animals that they're bickering over Jesus' clothing. And he mentions them in passing. John's emphasis is on Jesus. And then John includes this note about Jesus um, on the cross speaking to his mother and speaking to John, that this is the last conversation before the death of Jesus that, that he has with his mother and that he has with John. And John describes, again, the beauty and the majesty and, and the incredible nature of Christ that Jesus, even in this place, is still being a human man who cares for his mother. That is John's perspective. Now, each one of these groups of people, we actually have more detail about, and we're going to read that now. So please turn with me over to Luke's Gospel. And we're going to look in Luke chapter 23. We're going to have a look at verse 45. Luke 23, 45. I love it. I do. I really do. Some years ago, my brother was in a church when his son, my, my nephew Elijah, was born, and he was the first baby born in that church in 26 years. So I love the sound of kids in church. I really do. And we need to encourage our parents. Luke, chapter 23, verse 45, says this. I'll read from verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land, until three in the afternoon, until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then it goes on, Jesus calls out and he dies, 3 p.m. This curtain was about the height of the apex here of the roof. It was huge. And it was at least, when it was hanging there, at least a couple of inches thick. And it was made from woven goat hair. It was massive. And it gets torn in two. Not cut, but torn and ripped. And Luke gives us this detail that John never gives us. John tells us here are these religious leaders and, and they, they, they're caught up and bickering about the sign. And then Luke, who is not an eyewitness, then says, actually, here is this other thing that the religious leaders were confronted with after the story that John tells. John tells us the start of the story about the religious leaders and their bickering about the sign right in the midst of the crucifixion. But then in that moment, we actually get this detail from Luke. It's interesting. We'll talk about why in a minute. If you go down two verses, we get to verse 47. Ah. And in verse 47, we have... This from Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verse 47. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. 
Again, Luke has described these men who are bickering over Jesus's. Uh, John has described these men who are bickering over Jesus's clothing, but here Luke, who is not an eyewitness, Luke who comes after the fact as a researcher, he's a physician. He has a much better developed uh, vocabulary, and he then goes and follows up, and we get this: that there is a, a corollary, a follow-on part of the story. That John is an eyewitness, someone who is embedded in that moment, didn't capture. It was not his focus. But here we have this story about the centurion. Go back with me, still in chapter 23, but go back to verse 39. And Luke says this, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, which is an extraordinary statement, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. This thief who is in the middle of his own suffering looks at the person next to him and goes, I've earned this suffering, but you haven't. Verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me, when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you, you will be with me in paradise. Luke gives us this follow-on snippet that John doesn't give us. And then turn with me over to Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 13. The book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 13. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then we find over in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Luke gives us this corollary story, this follow-on. John talks about Mary being rehomed and being rehoused. That is not where her story ends. But John doesn't give us that detail. Luke is the one who then gives us that detail. And so very simply, for a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about that. This last week, the Lord said to me, oh, Bob, have a look at this. And I went, that's great. What do I do with that? Okay, we see that John starts the story, and we see that Luke continues the story. Lord, who, who in the church needs to hear that? And so we sat for a while, and the Lord sort of made it a bit clearer, and he went, you know what? John didn't have to do the whole thing on his own. We get given four Gospels. We've got Matthew and Mark that we haven't looked at yet. 
And this question came to mind, do you think John would have been upset with Luke about what Luke wrote? Sort of go, no, of course he wouldn't have been upset with Luke. But, but what goes on for us when we have been involved in God's story in this church, in this time, when we have been involved, where we have been eyewitnesses, where we have seen the different things that have happened, over a period of time, and then just like with John and with Luke, there are different personalities that fill in the places that we miss. There are different skills. There are different focuses. Luke is no less part of God's story than John. John is no less part of God's story than Luke. And God uses their personalities and their giftings to to change the focus between these different things. So what do we do with this? We see that the thieves are hung up next to him by John, but their story doesn't end with them simply being strung up. Luke becomes part of that story as it continues. The religious leaders arguing about the wording of the sign above Jesus' head and missing out on who Jesus is, that's not where their story ends. Luke takes the story on from there. The centurion and the soldiers who were present crucifying Jesus, that's not where their story ends. Mary being rehomed is not where her story ends. There is something of God's story which is bigger than John and which is bigger than Luke and which is bigger than you and bigger than me. And God does not require you or I, to carry all of his story. God does not require you or I to carry all of his story. Jesus says to his disciples, one sows and another reaps. We talked about with our, um, where's my olive branch gone? Lost my olive branch on the chair. We talked about it with the kids this morning. And Paul uses this picture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where different people have a different purpose, where God's kingdom, when he brings it along, there, there are some of us where, where what he does with us is he goes, I want you to go sowing. Just plant the seed in other people's hearts. And there are some of us where we are watering people or we are giving food to people, where we come alongside and someone goes, you know what, I, had, I heard this thing years ago. Oh, I went to Sunday school when I was a kid. Oh, we had this chaplain at our school. Oh, I went on this camp or I went to this youth group or I went to this play group or I went to this kids club. And we go, yeah, well, let me water that. Let me add my story. Let me tell you my observations about what God has done. Some of us have been harvest people. I know that there are some of you in this room where you have seen the most extraordinary fruit of God. And there are some of us, I think, where the shape that God makes us, our personality, our gifting, all, all those different things, the people he puts us amongst, where he uses us continually in the same way. And there are some people that, that no matter how much I work with them or I talk to them or you work with them or you talk to them, there is that particular person who can walk into the room and go, man, you've got to give your life to Jesus, and boom, happens. That person's a harvester. 
Maybe in your life you have seen some extraordinary fruitfulness happen. But one thing that we didn't really address with our little story this morning is that the life of a plant starts in the seed. And all we do is we stand around and we contribute what we can. But whether or not the plant grows is is down to the inner mechanic of the plant. And whether or not God's kingdom takes root in someone is actually out of our hands. We can support, we can pray, we can get alongside of people. But ultimately, God's kingdom is bigger than you or I. It is bigger than our capacity to make it happen. We also didn't talk about seasons. I love that God gives us pictures all around us and that Jesus talks about plants so much because things blossom in their season, things fruit in their season. There is a season to grow, there is a season to harvest, and there is a season to leave the ground fallow, there is a season to plow. And I wonder how many of us get disheartened Because we look around and we go, Lord, there is a lot of plowing going on and we don't seem to be picking much fruit right now. God does not rest everything on your shoulders. He does not require of you to plant his kingdom and water it and harvest it in one conversation or even in one lifetime. So maybe... Just maybe we need to heed Jesus' words that one sows and another reaps. That it's okay for John to start telling the story and for Luke to follow on and to cut ourselves some slack. If you have been carrying a sense of guilt that you have been involved beginning a work and maybe that work has not finished but you're not able to keep that happening anymore, Be released because God is in charge. God is the one who appoints some to be sowers and some to be waterers and some to be harvesters and some to be plowers again after that. Maybe where you are in God's story is you are like John, where you go, it's Lord, I can see all these different snippets. I'm an eyewitness. I'm in the story. And the detail is not important. Maybe you're like Luke, where you have been standing back looking at church, looking at ministry, looking at Christianity, and your personality is a bird's eye view and and is analytical. Praise God. He creates people in different ways. But be released to do your part. Maybe you are the one who plants the seed of the gospel in others. Maybe you are the one who plows the ground again. The story of God did not start with you. It did not start with me, and it will not end with you, and it will not end with me. So be released, please, this morning to do what the Lord has put on your shoulders. Don't feel that you have to carry everything. That is not what God asks of you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we see all around us a rapidly changing world. 
and we see churches closing their doors. We see mission organizations, um, denominations, even this last week, the passing of Billy Graham. And Lord Jesus, we see that there are things tapering and finishing. And Lord, would you help us to guard our heart against the enemy where he would come in and tell us that that is the sign of failure, that somehow we have missed whatever that golden era was and it's never going to come again. Lord Jesus, help us to see things the way you see things. Help us to understand the seasons of plowing the ground and of planting and of watering, of waiting for the seed to take root, of the harvest happening, and then plowing again. Lord Jesus, would you help us to understand how we are to be obedient to your spirit in the church if this is a season of plowing the ground again, of replanting the gospel in this part of the world that it might take root again. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help us to see ourselves appropriately, not too high and not too low, but to see ourselves the way you do, to see what you have given us to do and to, to do that faithfully, knowing that there will be a time where your story outlives us, where your mission and your kingdom continue on after us, and so should it be. Help us to prepare. Help us to be faithful. And Lord Jesus, as the season turns in your kingdom, would you help us to celebrate not just the harvest, but the plowing as well? Would you help us to not simply celebrate when, when there are people who put their faith in you, but when there are people who hear the gospel, when there are people who are encouraged, when the, when the ground breaks for the first time? Lord Jesus, help us to celebrate because you are at work. Lord Jesus, I thank you that this, this part of the world, particularly that this church family over generations has seen the seasons turn in your kingdom. We have seen seasons of plowing and of planting and of watering and of fruitfulness. And Lord Jesus, help us to be faithful wherever we find ourselves. Help us to celebrate whatever part of the season we are in, that you are enough and that the life is in the seed, not in us. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would be present with us as we meet together over lunch today. Would you continue being at work in our hearts and in our minds? Would you provoke our thinking about discipleship and about baptism and about mission and ministry? But Lord Jesus, I ask more than anything else, would you help us to be obedient? Would you help us to serve faithfully where we are? In your precious name we pray. Amen.